Good morning. Welcome. We're so thrilled that you've joined us this morning as we go on this adventure unpacking the Psalms of Summer. And the first thing that I want to do this, this morning is just let you know how near and dear the Psalms are to my heart. In fact, the thing that I love about the Psalms is they display worship and prayer. It is poetry expressed to God. And so today we are gonna continue in this Psalms of Summer. We're so glad that you're here. And this morning, what I would like you to do before we actually enter into a Psalm is I wanna tell you a story that comes straight out of the book of Acts. And you'll understand why I do that in just a minute. So there's this amazing moment in the beginning of the book of Acts where Peter and John, they go to the gate beautiful. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. No, it's this story where they go to the gate beautiful and there's this crippled beggar and he's laying there on the ground and he asks Peter and John for some money and this famous line from Peter, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And lo and behold, the man gets up off his walk, off, off of his mat. He begins skipping and leaping and praising God. Now you can imagine the commotion, right? All of a sudden, you know, this man just gets healed. So of course they're at the temple, the crowd shows up. And what does Peter do? He goes, oh, this is a good opportunity to preach the gospel. So Peter begins to preach this powerful gospel message. And then the religious leaders and the local authorities, they show up. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? You can't be preaching about Jesus around here. And then they end up taking Peter and John to jail. And they're like, wait a minute, we know these guys. They were with Jesus. And um, so anyway, in a nutshell, I wanted to give you that little backstory because we're gonna start today in the book of Acts and it's kind of, that's the story leading up to what we're gonna read about. So this is Acts chapter four. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Starting at verse 23. And I just, um, I just wanna read this to you. It says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and the elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices in prayer to God. O oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Next slide. In fact, this happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. 
And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. Now that's a prayer meeting. (laughs) You know, imagine these two guys show up, you know, and they're like, man, we spent the night in jail and they, they threatened us and so they're reporting everything that happened, right? And then... Notice what the, how the church responds. They cry out in unity with one voice and they cry out to the God, the creator of everything. And they say, oh, sovereign Lord, creator of everything. And then they begin to pray the first verses of Psalm chapter two. They say, why do the nations rage? Why are they angry? And then as they pray, they're like, wait a minute. These, this scripture was fulfilled when King Herod and Pontius Pilate and all the Jewish leaders actually put Jesus to death. And so they begin to pray Psalm 2. And so one of the things that I'd like you to take away from the message today is that Psalms are good fuel for your prayers. Psalms are good fuel for your prayers. The the ancient church, they prayed Psalm 2. And I love what happened. As they were praying, they were praying for boldness. They were saying, yes, we've been threatened. Yes, we spent the night in jail. But God, give us boldness to preach your word. Like, don't let us shrink back in fear, even though we're being threatened. And so I love that about about um, the early church. There was a fire and a passion in them. And imagine, you know, you're in, you're in this house and you're praying and all of a sudden the place just starts shaking and then the people are filled once again with his spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he gives us boldness and power to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to do the work of the ministry. And so here are God's people in this powerful prayer meeting. And one of the things that I want to sow into your hearts today as I share this message is that I believe that God is inviting his people to become passionate prayer warriors, just like the early church. And if you look at the Old Testament way back in Isaiah, it actually says that I have called my my house, a house of prayer for all nations. And I believe that God is wanting his people to come together and to pray whenever we're facing difficulty or persecution of any kind. And the other thing that it promises there is that there's joy in the house of prayer. When you, can you imagine if you were in that prayer meeting, they weren't afraid, they weren't in the corner cowering, they were filled with joy, they were filled with unity. And they were asking God, give us boldness to go and to keep going and preaching your word. And so I believe that God is inviting this church to become passionate world changers for Jesus. And one of the way that you do that 
is through prayer. And one of the things that you can do is pray the Psalms. So that's our beginning. And now what, what, I, what I'd like to share with you is actually a little bit of, um, I always like to share a little bit of my story with you. One of the things that happened to me and one of the reasons why I absolutely love the Psalms is because back in the day when I was on the mission field and I was um, learning how to pray, I'd actually come here to the States and someone had given me a little book and it, and it was five Psalms and a proverb. And so I took that little book and I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna pray this every day. And I actually did it for many years. And I would put that book in my pocket and then I would go walk out on, you know, in the, on the, dirt, the dust fields out there in Mexico. And I would open the Psalms and I would read them out loud and I would pray and I would cry and I would pour my heart out to God and I, and I would just read through the Psalms. And then once I did it, you know, I circled all the way through one month and I just start back at Psalm 1 and Psalm 31 and it had, a, and, and, I, and it really, it was a time of marinating and saturating myself with the Psalms. And I feel like when I did that, I began to learn the language of worship and of prayer. And I began to get in touch with some emotions because the Psalms, if you read them, they're jam-packed full of emotions. And, and here's the thing, you can find every human emotion in the Psalms. There's depression, and there's anxiety, and there's anger, and there's rage. And there's also joy, and there's hope, and there's peace. And so the Psalms are such a rich place to learn how to worship. And as a matter of fact, David, you know, he wrote quite a few of the Psalms, and he was called a man after God's heart. And if you want to become a man or a woman after God's heart, learn to allow the Psalms to grip your heart, to fill your heart, and use the Psalms to pray and to worship God, because I feel like that's where I learned the language of prayer and worship was in the Psalms. And in, um, there's one, you know, there's one psalm that says in, in Psalm 62, in verse 8, it says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour your heart out before him. God is a refuge for us. And I feel like that's kind of what I learned how to do in, in that season in my life. Pour my heart out to God when I was afraid, when I was sad, when I was frustrated, when I didn't know what to do, I would just go and I'd pour my heart out to God. And he would bring solutions, he would bring hope, he would bring peace in the midst of crisis. And I love what it says in Psalm 5, verse 3, it says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning, I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. And I feel like if you start your morning, you come to God, and you're like, Lord, this is, this is what it is. This is what's going on in my life. I'm gonna lay it before you, and I'm gonna wait expectantly to see what you're gonna do, how you're gonna change me, how you're gonna change my circumstances, how you're gonna show up in different ways in my life. <clears throat> 
One of the other things that I feel like um, the Psalms did for me is it nurtured in me a grateful heart. And I learned how to shift my focus off of me and my problems or whatever was going on around me, and I learned to shift my focus on God. And I'm gonna tell you, when you shift your focus on God, all of a sudden, it changes your heart, it changes your attitude, because you're like, oh, God loves me, and God's good, and he's powerful, and he knows what's going on down here, and he hasn't forgotten me, and so it's just a powerful um, way to live your life. And finally, I just want to say to you, you know, as you read through the Psalms, you really get to see the nature and the character of God. God is good all the time. He is loving and kind and patient. He's merciful and just and righteous. He's faithful. He's all-powerful, sovereign, all-knowing, protector, provider. That God you get a revelation of who God is and his nature and in his character. You get to know his heart when you read through the Psalms. And so today, we're going to look at the beautiful um, Messianic Psalm. It's chapter two, Psalm two. And this is a beautiful display of Jesus, the Son of God. So let's look at Psalm chapter two, and if you wouldn't mind, let's just read the first few two verses together, if you would stand. Just read these first two right here. Read with me. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And you may be seated. And I'll continue in verse 3. It says, Let us break their chains, they cry. Free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying him, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant but what joy for all who take refuge in him. And wow, that's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion in, that, in, that, in those scriptures. And so I just kind of want to go through it a little bit today. And as, as you recognize why I read um, Acts chapter 4, it's because they prayed those first two verses. And then they expressed how those verses were fulfilled. But honestly... 
You know, I was thinking back to, you know, 2020 and even 2021. And as I looked around at the chaos and all the craziness that was going on in our world, I, I just, I felt like there was anarchy and, 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 and it was very unsettling. It was very disturbing. And I, I remember, you know, seeing the, vision, the, 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 the images, a lot of us saw them. You know, Port, like the city in Portland got taken over, you know, and people were burning businesses and pulling down statues. And I was just like, God, what is going on? Why do the nations rage? Why are they so angry? Why is, why is there all this violence and hatred and strife and murder and division? I'm like, God, what is going on with this nation? But anyway, this psalm came to my heart, and I thought, man, the people are rising up, and they're angry, and the thing that I love about the psalm is it kind of, there's kind of like this back and forth, you know? It's like there's the angry mob, there's the powerful um, kings and leaders of the earth that are looking, you know, to, for these hostile takeovers and they're greedy for power and for money and, and there's all this stuff going on and then, then, then there's God, you know, and he, he shows up on the scene. And um, so anyway, I just began to really, I felt like in that time, I really began to cry out to God for, for, for our nation and not just for our nation, because here's what I began, here's what God, as I meditated and as I thought about everything that was happening, you know, and like the whole world is on lockdown and, and, I'm, and I'm looking around and I started to think about it. You know, when there is an evil dictator who is in power and authority over a nation, and I don't care what nation it is, what happens? The people suffer. They live under oppression. They live under tyranny. They live under, uh, there's no justice in the land. And the people live in poverty. And, and so um, I just have been like thinking about, and yet when you have, a, you know, a righteous ruler, a righteous judge, you have someone who loves the people and cares about the people, that has a trickle-down effect too. It creates peace and prosperity in a nation. And so as I was just praying and crying out to God for our nation and just asking him, Lord, what are you doing? I love what it says in verse three. You know, it's like, let us break their chains and free ourselves from the slavery of God. It's like these people, it's like they don't want to be under God's rule and reign. They don't want, you know, the Ten Commandments and they don't want all these, these things. It's like, no, we want to do things our way. We want to, we, we you know, we want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. And here's the thing that I've come to understand is that when we submit ourselves under God's, under God's lordship, and we do his, things his way, there's so much blessing in it, and there's peace in it. And when we try to throw off, like, his way of doing things, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Now, this verse 4, it's interesting to me because it says, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. 
You know, and, and actually I can see God, you know, throwing back his head and, and laughing, but this isn't like the kind of laughter where like it's a funny joke. He's actually going like those little humans with their futile plans, like they have no idea who I am. They have no idea how powerful I am. They have no idea what I'm about to do. And so he scoffs at them. And I was reading just this little quote from, from, uh, from uh, Google, and I just wanted to share this, this guy. He says, the one who rules in heaven laughs. David Mathis writes, God laughs out loud to quiet our fears. How horrible and wonderful it is when God laughs. His laughter isn't just side-splitting, it's world-splitting. His enemies cower in fear. His friends rise in comfort. His laughter warns cosmic traitors of their impending doom, while reminding weak saints that the best is yet to come. And I love that because you see that contrast. This psalm is just filled with contrast. It's like the people of God take comfort in the fact that God is, is, is laughing because he has a good thing in mind. But the people who are against God, they cower in fear. You do not want to fall into the hands of a living God if you are an enemy of, of his. It says he terrifies them. And it reminded me of the scripture, you know, in Revelation chapter 6, 16. If you read this stuff, you're just like, and you imagine like what it's like. It says, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the land. And that the people are basically asking the mountains, fall on me and hide me from his wrath. And that's what I think about when I read these scriptures. It's like, you know, it, it's, it, you know God, God is loving and he's kind and he's gentle, but he's also, he's terrifying if you're his enemy. <clears throat> I love what it says in verse six. It says, God the Father makes it clear who his choice for king is. His beloved son, Jesus Christ, he makes the eternal decree you are my son, and I am your father. And that's the one he, who he chooses. Because he is, after all, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's his government that we desire. It's his rule. And when he rules and he reigns in our life and in our heart, and when he rules and he reigns in the leaders of a nation's heart, then that trickles down and it, it creates blessing for the people who live in that realm. I love what it says in verse eight. It says that the father longs to give his son an inheritance. And in verse eight, we see the father's intentions to give the son the whole earth, every nation, as his inheritance. 
And what I want to do um, right now is I want to I share with you about um, someone who I would consider to be a hero of the faith in my heart. This is verse, uh, Psalm 2, verse 8. And this person's name is Count Zinzendorf. And I spent some time when I was in Mexico kind of studying about what happened during his times. And I love it because this man, and, and I'm talking like 1727, this man such a, had such a passionate, fiery heart to pray that it was contagious. And eventually he, he established a community where persecuted Christians could come and live together in community. But this Count Zinzendorf what he did, what happened is he was crying out to God for revival. And at that time, the whole community was divided. The Christians, they couldn't get along because they were from different denominations. And they started praying together. And this is what happened. In 1727, a prayer meeting started and it ended 100 years later. Imagine that. A prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. And I'm not talking about a one-hour prayer service every day. I'm talking about 24-7 prayer for a hundred years. Imagine the fire and the passion that were created in the hearts of the people to continue that kind of a prayer movement. And here's the thing that I love about this prayer movement and why it became interesting to me is because that particular prayer movement that established, established the Moravian movement, it not only touched that place, but it spread fire to the nations of the earth. Why? Because in those prayer meetings, God gave the people a heart to reach the lost. In fact, I'm gonna read this one particular part right here where it says the Moravians had learned the secret of loving the souls of men was found in loving the savior of men. It says on October 8, 1732, a Dutch ship left Copenhagen Harbor bound for the Danish West Indies and on board were the first two Moravian missionaries, John Leonard Dober, a potter, and David Nitschman, a carpenter. Both were skilled speakers and ready to sell themselves into slavery to reach the slaves of the West Indies. As the ship slipped away, they lifted up a cry that would one day be called, become the rallying call for all the Moravian missionaries. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. The Moravians' passions for souls was only surpassed by their passion for the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Now that's a prayer meeting. Amen. And I want to invite all of us 
Uh, one of the things that God laid on my heart as I prepared this message is that we would become those kind of people of prayer, that we would become prayer warriors and that we would allow God to lay his passion, his burden on our hearts for the people around us, for our city, for our community, for those who are in poverty, for those who are orphans, for the widows, and even for the drug addicts and the people that are in big trouble, that we would become people of prayer that passionately love Jesus and we passionately love the people around us. And I'm gonna do a little commercial break. On this coming Saturday, on the 12th at 7 p.m. in the Journey office, we're gonna be gathering and you're all welcome to come and we're gonna be spending time together seeking God, spending time in his presence to see what is it on his heart, who is on his heart that he wants us to reach in this community. In verse nine of Psalm chapter two, um, the psalmist expresses how God will deal harshly with those with a rebellious heart against him. And in verse 10, he warns the kings and the rulers of the earth to be wise. And so I, I, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, when I see evil people in power or I see people doing things, you know, um, that, I, that, that just really break my heart. I live with this hope and with this confidence that God is going to deal with that person. Like temporarily, they may, be having, may, they may be in power or they may be doing what they're doing, but eventually God's gonna deal with them. And so normally what I'll do is I'll pray for them for their salvation that their hearts would turn and that they would worship God and that they would obey God. But then I also ask that God would remove him because even in Daniel it says, God is the one who brings kings into power and God is the one who, who takes them out and sits them down too. And so I know that every single one of them will one day give an account before God for, for what they did. And so I take comfort in the justice of God. I love verse 12. It says, submit to God's royal son or he will become angry with you and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. Submit to God's royal son. In some, in some translations, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry with you. And this idea of kissing the son very much has to do with worship. It's like kiss him, submit to him, bow to him, kiss his feet in reverence, in awe, in adoration of God. Or else he'll become angry and you'll be destroyed. And so here's the thing that I understand and it's become ever more clear to me. Not only is Jesus Christ our savior, but he's our Lord. And as our Lord, we should submit to him. We should honor him. We should worship him. And most of all, we should obey him. 
And when we do things his way, there's so much beauty in it, and there's so much power in it, and there's so much grace in it. But when we rebel against God and we become his enemy, whoa, that is, that is a scary thing. And we don't ever want to be in that kind of a position. But I love how this ends. It says, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. And so there's so much joy in God's presence. When we, when we take refuge in him, when we run to him, there's joy, there's safety, there's peace, there's love. Because he loves us and we're his children. But if we're against him and we're not, in, you know, we're not taking refuge in him, I, I wouldn't want to be in those people's shoes, honestly. And so finally, I just want to say, you know, when, when presidents and prime ministers submit to God and fear him, it has a positive effect on a nation. It brings peace and prosperity and righteousness and justice. But when a nation is ruled by dictators, the nation suffers oppression and poverty and injustice. And if a leader doesn't submit, eventually he will be removed from power and experience God's wrath. And we can take comfort in that. And I guess I just want to end this message by saying, may this message move you to find hope and comfort and the revelation of God's heart in the Psalms. May you become a surrendered worshiper of God. May God share with you his heart for a certain people group. Maybe it's children or teenagers, orphans, the lost. May he guide you to do something, to re reach out to that group, to help them and bless them and support them. in tangible ways. And you may, may you become more passionate about God and his kingdom as you love people and introduce them to him. And I just want to close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your people. And Lord, I cry out to you and I pray that you would raise up powerful worshipers and prayer warriors, people who are passionate world changers for Jesus Christ. May they carry their, your, your word with boldness. May they share your love with everyone they meet. May they go out in the power of your spirit, <clears throat> reaching the lost, healing the sick, casting out demons by the power of your spirit, and Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, may they pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me and that you died on the cross to remove my sins so that I would no longer be separated from you. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Rule and reign in my life. Forgive me for all my sins 
and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 